final week in this book as we're studying it on Sunday mornings. Just a reminder as we're turning there uh, that Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we're currently in the book of Luke and headed right into um, Jesus' trials before the Jewish religious leaders and Pilate and the crucifixion. So a very, very rich section of Scripture, and you're invited to come out and join us on Sunday evenings at 6. Two verses this morning to conclude the book in uh, verse 24. Jude writes, and he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling, I like it in the old King James, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in this book and been full of surprises. And um, you have a lot to say through it. And we have tried to hear you individually as a congregation. And now as we come to these final two verses, we pray that all of the wonder and the glory and the truth that is found here, that you would take those things off of the printed page as you intend and write them upon the fleshly tablets of our heart and make them a part of our understanding of you and a part of our personal relationship with you. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just a brief recap as we uh, say goodbye to uh, the book of Jude here this morning and just take a moment to remember what he's taught us thus far. The theme of the book is that as Christians we are to contend earnestly uh, for the faith. And the faith is to be protected from all error uh, and specifically but not limited to anyone that calls themselves a Christian and uses the grace of God as an excuse for living a lifestyle of lewdness. And in doing so, rejecting the Lordship of God the Father and Jesus Christ in the Christian life. Jude, as he brought those things out in verses 3 and 4, then in verses 5 through 19, he went on to provide us with a, a masterful expose of the character and the methodologies of these false Christians who try to advance these kind of teachings in every age in church history and in every age in church history they have to be contended with uh, concerning uh, the faith. And then Jude instructed us, as we saw last week in verses 20 to 23, how we're to equip ourselves in order to stand in the midst of their heresies, but also in the midst of any heresy that comes down the pike in the course of, of our lives. Jude then closed this letter with what is known as a doxology here in verses 24 and 25. And a doxology is very simply 
an outburst of praise uh, to God. Very often as we read the New Testament epistles, certainly true of the Apostle Paul, he would be less inclined to close his letters with a doxology and more inclined to close them with a benediction. And uh, where Paul would then commend the reader to the grace of God, he would ask for some blessing of God upon them. But a doxology is just an expression of pure praise uh, being offered uh, to God. He introduces this doxology with a single word. It's a very potent word, and it's the word now. And uh, as we began the book, uh, our study in the book of Jude, we acknowledge the fact that it's most famous for two verses, and, or two sections within it, three verses, and that is the call to contend earnestly for the faith. Most Christians have heard that and understand that. And then the doxology here in verses 24 and 25. But that word now connects this doxology with the rest of the letter in a very powerful way. In other words, we will never really appreciate the doxology unless we have done what we have done, and that is study the rest of the letter and understand how significant the threat and the obstacles are to us uh, making it from where we are presently as Christians to one day entering into the glory uh, of, of heaven. And so everything that had been written here previously in the letter was intended to make us fully appreciate uh, this doxology. The letter would be incomplete if he didn't close with the doxology. His denunciation of the false Christians and complete with all of their very seductive uh, methodologies has been very, very strong as he has denounced them, as he has proclaimed the judgment that awaits them on the other side of the folly of trying to improve Christianity or the folly of trying to uh, bump God from uh, the throne in, in Christianity. And uh, because he's been so strong in denouncing them, uh, perhaps he thought that there, by the Spirit of God, that some of the readers might be concluded to uh, conclude fearfully of themselves, I'm never going to make it. Somehow I know between here and heaven, I'm going to disqualify myself. I'm going to fall prey to apostasy. I'm going to end up becoming like uh, one of these, uh, uh, these people. And as a result, the Holy Spirit closes the letter with a doxology that contains a reassurance in the face uh, of that doubt. And it's even stronger, this doxology, this praise, this promise, than even the exhortations that are contained within the letter. I think that this doxology is arguably the most famous and the most beloved doxology in all of the Bible. And there are a lot of doxologies within the Bible. And why is that? Why is it that the Beatles song yesterday, out of all of the songs that they put together, that that song has, had the, has been played on radio stations more than any other Beatles song that they have done? Why is Bing Crosby's White Christmas the best-selling song 
in U.S. history. And it's because of the simple fact that these songs deeply resonated with people. And the popularity of a song says as much about the people who love the song as it does about the song itself. And why is this doxology arguably the most famous and beloved in the Bible? And it has to be that it provides us with an assurance that we crave as Christians the assurance that what God has begun in us by His Holy Spirit, He's going to bring it to completion uh, upon our deliverance into the very glory uh, of, uh, of heaven itself against any and all obstacles that we might face in the world along the way. And it's the reminder that on this most important issue of all, that God Himself is our security that He is our guarantor related to this. And so it provides the reminder that in our salvation, we're not uh, merely, uh, we have not merely or supremely begun something in God, as wonderful as that is, but that God has also begun something wonderful in us and that He is deeply and He is unalterably committed to that and deeply and unalterably committed to finishing that. He gives us the causes for praise and He lists them there in verse 24. And He t praises Him for the fact that He is able to keep us from falling. And that is that God will actively protect us from falling prey to any of the heresies of these false Christians and, and from falling into their sinful practices from, uh, as a result of it, falling away from the Lordship of Jesus Christ and falling away from the faith uh, altogether and then joining them in, in their ultimate uh, judgment. So it isn't a stumbling. It's not talking about sin. It's not talking about we're all going to sin. Uh, it, 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 try as we might, even as Christians, until the day we enter uh, into heaven. This is talking about something far greater than that. It is to stumble from the faith, and He is able to keep us from that great fall. As we studied last week in verses 20 to 23, Jude has already detailed uh, our part in all of that, what we're supposed to do, what we have control of and resisting the heresies of these false Christians or the heresies that are prevalent in, in our day. And now Jesus takes and He reveals to us what God brings alongside what we do in verses 20 to 23, and that is that He Himself will keep us. Jude begins and ends the letter with the same assurance. You might look at verse 1, and, and Jude begins the letter, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and here it is, and preserved in Jesus Christ. So he, this is the bookend of the letter is the security uh, of the Christian because of God. And so we're thankful for all three. We're thankful that He's called us. We're thankful that He has sanctified us. But if He is not also able to keep us and preserve us, 
then those two other wonderful things are of no use to us uh, at all ultimately. And so what a blessing uh, it is. I can't even begin to imagine what is involved on his part in keeping each of us. You're a handful. I mean, we know ourselves, every single one of us. You think about how many Christians there are in the world. The Bible says we're a peculiar people. And I know it means that we're different from the world, but I think we're peculiar on top of it. Sometimes Christians are goofier than people in the world. In a lot of different ways we are. And think about the handful we are in terms of, of what is involved in keeping us but he does it. And, and grammatically, that word keep there, don't let your eyes roll or glaze. Grammatically, that word keep is in the active voice. In other words, it communicates that this is always going on. He is always working 24-7 in every one of our lives to keep us from falling. And how wonderful is that? We think about the hymn in Amazing, uh, stands in Amazing Grace hymn. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And we understand the reason that we have is because of His keeping. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And so Jude tells us that God is not only a saving God, but that he is also a keeping God. And that's a great reassurance. You notice that Jude uh, also reminds us that God is able to do this. And it's the word dunamai that he uses in that place. We get our English word dynamic or dynamo or dynamite from it. And what Jude is communicating to us is that God has the power to do this. Uh, He has the power to keep each and every one of us. However, Uh, great the obstacles, however great the tendency to roam, or even the the tendency, uh, all of us have a different capacity for being deceived. Some of us are just pure skeptics. I mean, it's almost impossible to deceive uh, us on on a purely natural level. And then there's others that will believe virtually anything that they're told. And yet God is able to keep all of us because He has the power to do it. Famously, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, the Lord declared, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And I would contend far harder than speaking the heavens and the earth into existence is his commitment to keep people like you and me that have trusted in him from the point of our salvation all the way into the glory of heaven. And so Jude tells us that God's grip upon our lives is as strong as he is, and that we're going to make it through this life and into heaven's glory, not because of the grip that we have on him supremely, but because of supremely upon his grip upon us. In this vein, Jesus declared to the Jewish religious leaders of us as Christians, in John 19, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, 
and they know me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And the idea is we are one in our commitment to this and to those that have come to uh, trust in Jesus Christ. You think about both the Father and Son united in their commitment in this regard. You simply cannot speak of security in terms of our salvation any stronger than uh, that. And, and in contrast here to these false Christians uh, offering a Christianity that it has no security associated with it at all. And so you think about the, what needed peace and confidence this gives us in our pilgrimage. Uh, the realization we all know we need keeping. And uh, here is God's commitment to do so in each of our lives. But Jude goes even beyond that, and he moves from keeping to presenting. Do you notice in verse 24 that he's able to present us faultless before the very presence of God in all of his glory, the radiance of his being. And uh, so he keeps us one, to one day present us faultless before the very presence of God. You just stop and you think about that for a moment because this event is in your future as a Christian. This is going to happen. He's going to not only keep you, but He is going to present you faultless before God the Father in all of His glory in heaven. That is something that is in each one of our futures as uh, Christians. You think to yourself, how in the world could I ever be presented faultless to God? When Habakkuk said of God, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. And, and it isn't that we are sinless. Uh, again, we commit sin. We will commit sin until uh, we enter into heaven but the reason that God, will, Jesus will present us faultless is because when we trusted in Jesus, the perfect uh, righteousness, right onness, rightness was put to our account. It's called positionally. So that when God looks at us, all of the rest of this life, He does not see our unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and that, that is uh, the, uh, the, and, and Christ's holiness uh, instead. And on this day, when we're presented in this way uh, before God by Jesus Himself, our righteousness will not only be positional, not only be because of the righteousness of Christ put to our account, but it will also become practical as well. The fullness of Jesus' saving work in our lives is going to be uh, revealed in the, that day. The fullness of it. The fullness of it. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he declared of this great event that is going to occur, and he speaks of it in the context of the rapture of the church, but he declared, for this corruption 
must put on incorruption. And that moment where we enter into the glory of heaven, we will put on incorruption. We will be practically, uh, as, as practically righteous as we are positionally righteous. John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He, that is Jesus, is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now you think about this, what a stark contrast Jude puts between uh, a Christian and these false Christians who are advocating their false doctrines. And the Christian is preoccupied with the glory of the future. But the highest thing that these false Christians were offering and offer yet today is a lifetime of engaging in lewdness and violation of God's lordship uh, in their lives. And that kind of life that they were advocating and advocate to this day would hardly be a worthy preparation for the pure holiness of God and the pure holiness of heaven. Sometimes I, I, I think it's uh, 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 like the definition of paradise in Islam for a martyr. An eternity of all the food and drink you can eat and drink, as well as 72 virgins uh, uh, at his disposal who miraculously regain their virginity each time uh, they lose it. And you stop and you think about that and, and, and give it any kind of consideration. That is the definition of heaven that a very hormonal adolescent male would come up with. That would become tiresome in a day or a week or a month. I mean, you think about how low a view of heaven and eternity that is, how carnal a view that it is. And so too you have these false teachers and they're advocating the practice of a life of lewdness for Christians. And, uh, and as they uh, advance this and advocate for it, it's the same thing. It is a very hormonal, adolescent, and embarrassing view of Christianity, uh, one that is unworthy of being associated with the name and the body and the blood that was given in order to provide it to mankind. And notice too in verse 24 that Jesus will also present us faultless before the presence of His glory. And then here is the greatest marvel of all that He will do it with exceeding joy. That's going to be the attitude. That's going to be the level of the celebration. It speaks of the joy that He will experience in presenting us there. It speaks of the joy that we will experience upon being presented uh, there as the bride of Christ. And imagine the emotion of that scene. And that emotion is in the future of every single Christian.
That's how he's going to present us. I mean, it's not going to be like, you know, we're not going to be in heaven and uh, we're going to feel odd and out of place because of how holy and how glorious God is. Jesus isn't going to scoot us into heaven like a, a, a dog with our tail between uh, our legs in some kind of an embarrassment, embarrassing condition or embarrassed of us in, in any uh, way at all. Because true Christianity, a biblical Christianity, not only provides us with a heaven that has been prepared for us, but also a heaven we've been prepared for. Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then Jude takes the other end of it, or not Jude, but uh, Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and in terms of our end, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when we get into heaven, it's going to feel like home. And it's going to feel like home in a way that no place else has ever felt like home in our entire lives. Because we're being prepared for that. Because we long for it. And because Jesus will be there and we will be there with Him. You notice in verse 25 the praise and the worship that we are to offer God for all of this. And so, our praise and our worship is to be directed here to God our Savior, just to praise Him for our salvation. And this refers to uh, God the Father. And you say, how is He our Savior? It was His love, and, and just the mystery of the Godhead, it was His love that was revealed in the sending of His Son in order to pay uh, the full and satisfying Price for the forgiveness uh, of our sins. The entire Godhead is involved in our salvation. Somebody's put it that the Father initiates salvation, Jesus accomplishes it, and the Spirit affects it. And that is very good. God is described here as a cause of praise uh, who alone is wise. We're to praise Him for the perfection of His wisdom in how He has saved us. You can take the greatest minds that a man or a woman can possess in the entire world, and we will never be able to fully mine the wisdom behind our salvation. How in the world He could be the justifier of sinful man and remain just. And on and on and on the questions go. The wisdom behind the salvation is so perfect. It always stretches us in terms of our understanding of it, but then marveling of it as well. But not only the wisdom that's revealed in our salvation, but the wisdom that is revealed in the Christian life. One of the, maybe one of the only good things about watching 
a culture disintegrate around us, and there, it's all symptoms of having left definitions of right and wrong that come from the Bible. It's, it is dismantling the foundation. And, and, the, and as you see what is disintegrating, you're seeing what the new wisdom, the new ideas, the quality of human being that is being uh, not produced, it makes us marvel at the privilege of the life that we get to live. I look at the problems of the world all around me, and I look and I can, have it, I can find a commandment in my mind from the Scriptures that speaks to the very uh, issue that is being uh, disobeyed in, in, in some area of things, and then to realize I am spared that path because uh, of, of the life that Christ has called me into. I pinch myself for the quality of life. And I'm a, I'm a knucklehead. I could fall for all kinds. I could get on all kinds of paths and did before I became a Christian. And how safe we're kept, the wisdom that is in our salvation and, and uh, then in the quality of our, our Christian life. Paul wrote of the wisdom of uh, manifest wisdom of God in our salvation to the church at Rome, this great treatise on, on uh, salvation, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment and His ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to him. There was no even remotely any kind of wisdom that could be attached to what the false uh, Christians were advocating in the early church, and nor is there any kind of wisdom behind any attempt today by someone who even calls themselves a Christian attempt to improve upon the Christianity as it's defined in the Scriptures. Jesus taught of the quality of the life that we enjoy as Christians after being born again. He said, but wisdom is justified by her children. True, true wisdom is uh, revealed by the quality of human being it produces. And no wisdom in all of the world produces the quality of human being that Christianity does in terms of holiness, in terms of hope and peace and meaning and forgiveness when it is the, script, uh, the Christianity as it's revealed in the Scripture. And so what's due from us? Paul, Jude tells us that God is to be praised for His glory. And this speaks of the entirety of all that He is and all that He does. That everything about Him is glorious, including the salvation and the Christian life He's provided to us. He is to be praised for His majesty. This speaks of His exalted position his, and His greatness, His splendor. He's not only a king, but He's the King of kings. He's not only a Lord, but He's the Lord of lords. And what the false Christians chose to deny, the lordship 
of God the Father and of Jesus Christ in the Christian life is a cause for worship and celebration in someone who's been born again spiritually. No one could rejoice who's born again by the Holy Spirit, rejoice in denying God, or whether Father or Son, the position of lordship in our lives. That is, a, that is a cause for joy and celebration being offered to him. He's to be praised for his dominion, and this speaks of God's sovereignty over the heavens uh, and the earth. It doesn't mean, as many people sometimes think, it doesn't mean that God is responsible for all the wrongs that people do uh, in the world in this present age. It's a fallen world full of fallen uh, people, a fall that God had nothing uh, to do with, but in His grace redeems people from. But the fact that He rules over all and He overrules all for His purposes as He's guiding human history to His God-appointed end. And then He's to be praised for His power. That is, uh, His power and authority to do as He pleases. And I am very happy for Him to do as He pleases in this world and in uh, in my own life. Because what He pleases to do is unfailingly good and right and loving and holy and righteous. And again, all of this is a crushing rebuke to anyone who would advance the idea of God as Savior, but uh, and not as Lord, as the false Christians were doing as they do today. And so, for how long is he to be praised in this way? Jude tells us at the end of verse 25, both now and forever to which Jude himself and we ourselves say, Amen. Which means, so be it, or that's the truth. And so this morning in closing the book of Jude, we want to partake of the Lord's Supper as a way of just responding to the book and responding to this doxology And in just a moment, the worship team will come out up and and the men will come forward and and serve the Lord's Supper. And as the cup is passed, the the bread and cup, it'll be a contained package. Take take, uh, one for for yourself. Don't partake of it. We'll partake of it uh, together. But I want to make sure that as we leave the book of Jude, that it has accomplished its purposes within our lives as a church, but then also within our lives individually as Christians. And to say as we partake of the Lord's Supper that we reject any version of Christianity that minimizes the importance of holiness and the importance of obedience in the Christian life and that minimizes the Lordship of God the Father and the Lordship of Jesus Christ in the Christian life. Whether that Redefining of Christianity comes from without somebody that's whispering in our ear or something that we're watching on uh, YouTube or some book that we're reading 
or whether that attempt to improve Christianity or to fashion it after our own flesh is a temptation that comes from within our own hearts to make sure that we recognize the danger of it and to absolutely uh, reject it and to freshly commit to it this Christianity of the Bible with all of our heart. And maybe you aren't seduced in any way as the, in the way that Jude is addressing here at all, but it's never a bad idea or a bad time to say, God, I recommit my life to Christianity as it is defined in the Scriptures. And Father, I consider it a privilege to be able to do so. And so if we sit here this morning and I consider myself to be a Christian and I'm living with someone or I'm practicing fornication or I'm practicing uh, the viewing of, of pornography or I'm engaging in drugs or alcohol and getting loaded and all of that kind of stuff or compromise or lying or stealing or whatever it might be and I've become comfortable with that this Christianity that has no basis in the Scripture, but that I've come up with on my own, then this is a time to repent of that. What good would it be to go through the book of Jude, which speaks to all of this, and to continue on? Because how dangerous would those things be in our lives if even the book of Jude can't shake us from those things? then we'd be in a very scary place. So this isn't me as a pastor being heavy about this. This is a celebration. This is a celebration. This is a privilege. But where it's needed, a chance to recommit fully to this Christianity. And so, if the men would come forward, we will serve the Lord's Supper. If the worship team would come forward, it will lead us in worship. And as it's passed, hold on to it. We'll hold the bread together, and then we'll partake together as well as with the cup.